Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. This episode of Kiwi Birth Tales is sponsored by Yeti Bath and Body. Yeti Bath and Body create delicious vegan bath and body products handmade right here in New Zealand. They love creating delicious bath and body products that smell and feel amazing on your skin using only high quality vegan ingredients. They are all about self-care and wellness for everybody and that's why they make a range of different products to suit everyone. They believe that when your skin feels amazing and smells amazing, you do too. Thanks so much Yeti Bath and Body for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're keen to buy some of Yeti Bath and Body's products, you can head to their website www.yetibathandbody.co.nz and use the code KiwiBirthTales for free shipping. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Meg about her birth story with her beautiful baby boy, Teddy. Now, Meg and I recorded this episode when I was still pregnant, so I believe I had a cold at the time. Um, I do apologize for my voice in advance, and if you hear me sort of panting, (laughs) breathing at any time, I wasn't in labor. I was just really struggling to get my words out, so yeah, apologize for my voice, but Meg sounds great, so that's the main thing. And Meg takes us through her pregnancy and then into her birth story where she explains it didn't exactly go to plan, but that doesn't mean she didn't have a positive experience. She also talks us through her antenatal expressing and her stitches needing to be redone a couple of weeks post-birth. So really interesting episode. I'm super grateful to Meg for coming on and sharing her journey with us and I hope you enjoy it. If you've got any feedback about the episode, please feel free to jump on the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram and send me a message or leave me a comment or feel free to flick me an email kiwibirthtales at gmail.com. All right, I will stop talking now and let's jump into the episode. Hi Meg, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Jordan. I'm actually so excited to be here. It's all starting to feel really real now. I just heard the beeps and started recording and I'm getting a little bit hot and flustered, so slow me down if I start speaking too fast. <laughs> no worries. It's lovely to have you. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yes, um, I am 30 years old, just turned. I live in Auckland with my husband of four years, Blair. I have two dogs, they're little Bichon Poodles, who probably interrupt our recording by having a little bark in Korea, <laughs> and a five-month-old baby who will also probably interrupt us at some stage. Uh, I have a small business which produces a wedding planner called The Little White Book, and more recently, a pregnancy journal called Made With Love, which I was creating this time a year ago while I was pregnant. 
Oh, amazing. I love watching or seeing all the Instagram posts of those journals. They're so beautiful. Oh, thank you. I really love having it. And actually, especially now being a mum, it's really nice to have something that's mine and it's my yeah. project. And every day I get to spend a little bit of time just doing that because Blair can't do it and no one else can. So thank you. Yeah. And it's really lovely every time someone posts a picture or tags me in something, I just feel a little bit warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys with Teddy? Um, you know, it actually wasn't completely straightforward. So the pregnancy was a bit of a surprise, a really, really lovely and welcome surprise, but it came so much earlier than expected. I mean, it's not like it came and I was completely unprepared. <laughs> Been married for a few years, definitely wanted to start a family, but it was a huge surprise for me. And it was about, it was about this, this time a year ago, maybe a month and a year ago when I found out. Um, so I had had a condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea for three years, which is when you lose your period for a long time. Um, and I'd only had a few periods before conceiving. So I definitely wasn't at the stage where I felt like I could sort of track my periods and ovulation. Um, yeah. HA, for those who don't know, is um, when you lose your period and it's usually connected with over-exercising or under-eating. So I had been seeing an endo, uh, and that happened when I, years and years ago, when I was sort of trying to squeeze into a wedding dress that I'd ordered a little bit more, <laughs> as so many yeah. do. And I didn't even intentionally do that. I know lots of people order their wedding dress, go, oh, I'll fit into it. But I was ordering an American sizing and I was like, oh yeah, I think I'm a two or a four or whatever it was. And <laughs> yeah. I wasn't. And I, um, I did get into it, but I sort of paid the price for it for a few years afterwards. I saw an endocrinologist at the hospital for a little while and I ended up sort of having like a three-year recovery from that uh, before I got my period back. And then because the recovery was quite lengthy, I thought it would take longer to get pregnant as well. Uh, so because my periods are so irregular, it would have been just too hard to try to conceive. And as it happened, I got pregnant on the 29th day of my cycle instead of right in the middle, like 14th or 15th, like most people. Oh, wow. So the journey to pregnancy was just a really unexpected but very pleasant surprise. Yeah, oh, awesome. And how did you find out you were pregnant? I don't imagine that you were having super regular cycles, were you? Or? Um, I think this is quite funny because a lot of my followers are going to – recognize when I was pregnant I never sort of told them what had happened this made it a really hard secret to keep because I had these early <laughs> symptoms of complete and utter exhaustion and because I should yeah. my everyday life I was complaining about it and saying oh my god I just can't get out of bed I'm so tired I'm gonna go to the doctor <laughs> and I went to the doctor and then I had a blood test and then I found out I was three weeks pregnant and I had to very quickly recover from my exhaustion and be like, yeah, cool, feeling really fine now, um, <laughs> over the hump, and sort of get back into it because it was so early. I couldn't tell anyone. I hadn't um, even told Blair at this stage, so I found out when he was overseas. Um, so it was really just uh, keeping the secret to myself uh, until he got back. And then in the end, I waited until I was about 20 weeks before telling everybody else. I don't know. You just I was, yeah. I was waiting for that beautiful bump to come. I didn't think there was any point yeah. with my pregnancy until I had a bump and I took so long to get one. So in the end it wasn't for another sort of four or five months before I finally told people. Yeah. Awesome. And how were you feeling in that first trimester? I didn't have any 
nausea. So this is, it's probably a hard one to say, but I think that's a blessing and a curse because it, I didn't feel pregnant at all. Yeah. Having yeah. no symptoms was actually really worrying, especially when you heard people say, oh, you know, feeling sick is a good thing. It says that your body's doing all the right things and it's creating all the right hormones. And I was like, well, I don't feel sick. I'm just completely wiped out. So I was totally exhausted. Um, but none of the other sort of traditional pregnancy symptoms um, that so many people describe. Yeah. And did you want to go with a midwife for your care or what sort of um, care were you considering? Yes, I did. Um, I really only knew about midwifery care until I was pregnant. And then a few friends said, oh, no, you need to have an obstetrician. And I was like, okay, why? And the answers they that I was given did not convince me. And I absolutely am so happy with my decision to use a midwife. It was a low-risk pregnancy. Um, I wanted to give birth at birth care. And so that's always going to be a midwifery-led birth. So I ended up meeting one midwife who we didn't go with because she wasn't the right fit. And the second midwife we met with, I loved immediately from the start, which is not to say that we didn't actually butt heads a few times during my pregnancy, but <laughs> always felt like she had my best interests at heart. Um, and in the end, like she's just like a really close friend now. It's really lovely. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And how were you feeling for the rest of your pregnancy? Did you get some more symptoms pop up around the second and third trimesters when your bump came in or how were you feeling? Yes, it was sort of a slow sort of decline I suppose from there one thing that I really wanted to do was sort of stay fit as much as I could throughout my pregnancy and I think that really helped me uh, I just joined F45 when I found out I was pregnant so I was keen to keep it up as much as I could and in the end I did keep going right the way until actually the day I went into labor but I my body was certainly getting a lot more tired I started having sort of hip and joint pain I had, I think it's called SIJ, which is sacroiliac joint pain from the second trimester. Blair and I were out for a walk one day and I was just like, oh my God, I can't walk. My hip has completely seized up. Uh, yeah. And so that that's sort of what it would be like. I was still really active and really sort of out and about and doing things and probably from an outsider looking in, seeing that I was at F45 every day, so I must be feeling great. But I was just slowly getting more and more tired and my body was yeah. saying, slow down, uh, which I did. And in the end, I was I felt like I was barely moving. Blair had to push me upstairs. So we live in a three-story house <laughs> and he literally had to push me up the stairs, uh, push me up the driveway and if we were out for a walk, often I'd need just like a little bit of a boost and the speed at which I was walking towards the end, like we'd be moving around the block with the dogs and it would take a good hour just to sort of go and get coffee and get back. Um, yeah, your, your body slows down because it needs to though, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I can um, completely relate to all of that, especially the being pushed upstairs part at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, oh my God, 30 week, 39 weeks pregnant you are? Yeah, yeah. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. So did you end up doing the normal testing that's offered in New Zealand, like the 12 and 20 week scans and gestational diabetes tests, those sorts of things? I did the 12 and the 20. I didn't do the GD test. My midwife gave me an option and didn't think that I was at much risk of it. So I didn't. I heard that it wasn't an amazing process to go through and I'm sort of happy not to. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And did you plan or did you do any antenatal classes or birthing classes, anything that you sort of hoped would help you throughout your birth experience? I was 
like absolutely obsessed from the moment I got pregnant with reading every book and signing up for online classes and also signing up for a class at birth care. Of course, by the time I made it to that class at birth care, I was so well prepared. I could have taken the class. Blair was actually <laughs> taking the piss out of me that day saying I should have bought an apple for the teacher because I was just giving all the answers that she was asking. Yeah. And that was probably partly because I'd been studying on all of this because I was writing the pregnancy journal at the time. And I wrote that in my first, oh, okay. but I had to really school myself on the entire pregnancy from a very early stage. Um, yeah. However, I do think that the class that we did was still worth it for him because he knew nothing and he wasn't going to read the books. Um, so it was really good for him to sort of understand, I think, what birth was going to be or look like. Yeah, awesome. And did you have much of a sort of thought process around what your birth ideal birth plan would be or were you just sort of going into it with an open mind? I did. I did start looking into hypnobirthing. So that was something that I did throughout the pregnancy. And I suppose I was hoping for a calm uh, hypnobirth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh because looking back now, I'm like, I'm the least calm person in the world. I don't know how I thought I was going to have this really beautiful, calm hypnobirth. <laughs> so yes, I did um, look into that and I wanted a water birth. So the idea was that I would go to birth care and have a very peaceful, calm water birth, and it would all be beautiful and candles and music, I think. <laughs> yeah, sounds amazing. <laughs> and did your labour end up starting spontaneously? Yes, it did, actually. I was really, really happy um, with with that because, of course, I had friends whose labour had whose pregnancies had gone on too long and they had to be induced. So by the time I was over 40 weeks, I just couldn't wait for it to start. And I was going to bed every night and thinking, okay, tonight's the night. I've been so uncomfortable. Yeah. I can barely get up. This must be it. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night with these little pains to go, oh, ouch. Oh, this must be it starting. <laughs> <laughs> um, isn't it funny that towards the end, you actually are longing for this day that you've Oh, I certainly had a bit of fear leading up to it, but I couldn't wait for it to start and be have a little bit of pain. Um, and finally, yeah. um, no, sorry, to answer your question, yes, it did spontaneously start. It was about 9 p.m. It was the day that we'd had a scan because we were uh, 40 and 5 and they'd wanted us to do a scan to check the size of the baby uh, and that everything yeah. was growing according to plan. We were told that day that um, he was, we didn't know he was a boy, um, we were told that he was weighing four kilos and was very big. Thankfully, they were a little bit off with that. He ended up being a lot smaller than that. Um, but it did happen to be the day that we had the scan that I ended up going into labor that night. At 9 p.m., I was lying in bed and I almost think I heard it like a pop. And I yeah. clenched what used to be my pelvic floor. And I waddled, as I was very used to doing by this stage, I waddled myself to the bathroom and Blair was sitting on the floor at the stage and I said, I think my water's just broke. And he's like, Millie? And I <laughs> sort of took a step into the bathroom and the water just broke like I was in the trees, <laughs> which I, I hear doesn't actually happen to most people. That's only sort of 10% of people have this sort of Hollywood waters breaking. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I couldn't stop sort of, um, I don't know, like just so excited and I was sort of shrieking about it. Um, I texted my midwife. She said, okay, we'll take some Panadol and get into bed and relax and have a good night's sleep. 
so that you're ready to have a baby tomorrow. Which, <laughs> if you could have said it at this time, I was like literally bouncing around the room. All of the energy that I yeah. lost throughout nine, ten months of pregnancy suddenly came to me. I was so energized. I couldn't wait. I was calling my sister. I was running up and down the stairs, sort of like trying to get things moving. Um, and I was like, okay, my contraction is going to start. And they did. They started within about 45 minutes. Oh, my God. It was not very nice. It was so strong, so instantly. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought I was going to have like a long night of contractions getting closer and closer together. But they were every yeah. two minutes or every two and a half minutes like right from the beginning. And I was in quite a lot of pain slash discomfort. I think the hypnobirthing word is pressure. <laughs> it didn't feel like pressure at the time. Um, so, yeah, my contractions started sort of instantly and I was like, okay, holy shit, we're in labor. And what was the sort of process from there? Do you want to take us through the rest of your labor and then into your birth experience? Yeah, I guess I will. Oh, my goodness. This is the first time that I have actually talked about this. Um, Jordan, I'm feeling really um, – if I could, if I'm allowed to say, I just want to prefix this by saying that the reason that I hadn't shared this until now is because, as I have alluded to, it didn't exactly go perfectly. And yeah, because um, I feel like birth can be quite a scary thing to be anticipating anyway. And I felt like my experience wasn't the best thing for people who are pregnant to hear. And with my followers mostly being sort of 25 to 35-year-old women, there's always going to be so many who are pregnant. So I thought, oh, there's no point in worrying them with all the things that can potentially go wrong. Yeah. I didn't just want to sort of add to that. So if you're listening to this now and you happen to log off through, <laughs> I'm really happy. So it didn't all go according to plan, but honestly, on the day, it did not matter one bit and it hasn't mattered in the days, you know, in the 50 days since. It really didn't (laughs) matter that it didn't go according to my beautiful, calm, hypnobirthing plan with the music and the candles that we all envisaged. Anyway, I can get on with it if you'd like. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. So anyway, as I said, my contractions were very, very close together right from the beginning i messaged my midwife and i told her and she said relax which i didn't i actually have two friends who had given birth very quickly one of them is christina who you have interviewed on your podcast so christina yes. who incredibly fast births and a girlfriend of mine amber had just given birth a couple of weeks before in the back of the car on the motorway on her way to the hospital so oh my gosh. this is all in my head at the time. And so even though my midwife had said, you know, it's not going to come straight away, it's going to take at least sort of 12 hours. So I'd been in labor for about two hours and I forgot all of her sensible advice about how it was going to take a little bit longer than I thought. I'd probably be in labor for at least 12 hours. And I was like, no, this baby is coming right now. And I called her and I told her that. And she's like, okay, I'll be right over to check you. <laughs> And so I'm pacing the room and Blair's in bed and I tried to watch an episode of something on Netflix, but there was absolutely no way I could sit down. I was just like running around the room and standing in the bathroom and holding onto the sink. And then I said to Blair, because she, sorry, my midwife lives sort of 45 minutes from my house. And so in the process of waiting for her to come over again, I was like, this baby is coming right now. We have to leave. 
So we bundled into the car at this point. This was probably about 12.30 in the morning. And we made the very short, sharp dash over to birth care in Parnell. So it's only 10 minutes from my house, but 10 minutes while you're having contractions every two to three minutes still feels like quite a journey. Yeah. I remember that car ride and not for any of the right reasons, but I was so happy to have actually just left the house and be on my way. And I knew that once I got there, I was in safe hands and it didn't matter if the baby was coming immediately because I was ready for it. And we arrived, um, obviously I messaged my midwife to say we're coming there. She arrived shortly after and said, okay, you're not giving birth right now. Just so you know, this baby is not about to pop out like you think. So we'll get you on the bed and we'll monitor your contractions, which is what we did. Now, at some point I was given gas and I should also probably say I had a TENS machine on at various levels during this. Um, So it it all sort of gets a little bit blurred together. I can't remember whether I put my TENS machine on when I was at home or whether I was there, but I got started on the gas pretty quickly at birth care. So that definitely helped to sort of slow me down a little bit. Uh, But I was lying there and I was having contractions and I was about to get measured. She said, okay, good. Your contractions are coming really strong. You can see them on the monitor. And this is, I think, the baby's heart rate. And that's going really well as well. I was like, cool, baby's going to be here any minute. And then she measured me and I was something like 1.5 centimeters dilated. Oh, no. (laughs) I was just like, you've got to be joking. Because by this stage, it's sort of at least one o'clock in the morning. My Water's broke at nine. I've been having contractions since 10. So three hours of contractions at least. And I think I was already half a centimeter dilated before my water's broke. So (laughs) I just felt so rubbish. And of course, I was profusely apologizing for wasting her time and getting her out of bed when I obviously wasn't in active labor. And I'm so sorry. I thought I was having the baby now. So she said, okay, I'm going to go have a lie down. You relax in here. I'm going to come back in three hours. And if you're not four centimeters dilated by then, then we're going to hospital. And this kind of blew me away. And Blair too, neither of us sort of instantly understood what she was saying. So he was sort of like, why would we go to hospital? We're happy here. He said, because the rate that contractions are coming through, they're so strong that if um, you're not dilating, then you're going to need help to do so. If you can't dilate naturally in the next few hours, you're going to need to go to the hospital and you're going to have an epidural to help you relax. And this was sort of the opposite of what you know you want to hear. You've just arrived at birth. Yeah, yeah. So ready to have your baby. And you're like, oh, cool. My body is just not cooperating. And I think the key to this is relaxing and being calm Um, but as you can probably tell from what I've told you, I just wasn't, and I couldn't be calm. I was really, really excited. It wasn't even sort of scared, uh, or, you know, anxiety at this point. I really just was so excited and I couldn't wait to have the baby, but I couldn't relax and be completely calm. So I spent the next three hours at birth care on the gas with my TENS machine, mostly sort of sitting on the floor in the little bathroom while Blair had a lie down and a nap. Fair enough. I mean, there's not really much he can help with at this stage. Um, So I just sort of, I'm going to say labored, and it did really feel like a real labor, just sitting there with each contraction to come through. And there was nothing to do really but just count down the minutes. And I counted down to, 
think it was four o'clock in the morning, she came back, got ready to be measured. And even though I was so anti going to hospital, by the time she got back, I was really ready for it. I was sort of like, yeah. you know what, if I haven't dilated, just get me to hospital and let's just get this baby out. And if I need to have an epidural to help that along, even though I'd wanted a drug-free birth and this really beautiful, natural, calm hypnobirth, at this stage, it didn't matter. I just wanted the baby to come. Yeah. And as I expected, it didn't happen. So she came back and I think I was probably about two centimeters, maybe three, but the sensible approach was definitely a hospital transfer. So we ended up back in the car and on the motorway at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> going to the North Shore, which uh, some people will wonder why that is when Auckland Hospital is literally across the road from birth care. But my midwife doesn't practice it at Auckland Hospital. So although I could have been transferred in an emergency, uh, the ones that she is sort of registered at are Waitakere and North Shore. So that meant just sort of a fun drive through the tunnel and over the bridge. And arriving at North Shore in the middle of the night, which I've never been to. So that was interesting enough. And they got me into this little sort of room. And I think I was monitored for 30 minutes before they decided that they would cite an epidural. Uh, And I'm actually not exactly sure what they used, but they called it a walking epidural. They said because I was fairly small, they could use a low dose. It was a low dose enough that I could walk around if I wanted to and okay are are you familiar with that yeah I don't know what it's called but I have heard of that where they sort of you can still move as opposed to a full epidural where you're sort of you can't feel anything yeah exactly and I think it it does sound like a really sort of good halfway point um especially if you don't particularly want an epidural but you need to have one to help you dilate to be honest, having spent the night pacing around birth care and jumping around at home, I was actually quite happy just to sit still. So I did. I think yeah. the epidural was put in about um, 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And I lay there. I think I was sort of in and out of naps at this point uh, for two hours. I got measured at 8 o'clock and it was going really well. I, th- I think I was sort of 7 or 8 centimeters during that. So the epidural did exactly what it was supposed to do. I said to Blair, why don't you go and get some breakfast? You know, he's been up most of the night as well. So he went across to some of the cafes across the road. And I was lying there relaxing, waiting for my body to fully dilate. And suddenly I started feeling everything again. And I was sort of saying, my midwife, I can feel the contractions. Do we need to top this up? So we did that. We They attempted to do an epidural top up. And I waited sort of 20 minutes for it to take effect and it hadn't worked at all. So I told them that and they came back and I think they did it a second time. They may have even changed what they used, but it didn't work at all. So I messaged Mm. it immediately and I was like, I'm in so much pain again. You have to come back. Um, I don't know what's going on. And I'd only had the epidural in for sort of two to two and a half hours, but it had basically worn off and for whatever reason, even though they kept trying to top it up, nothing was happening. And as it turned out, the epidural site had moved, so it wasn't going into my back. Uh, None of the pain was actually happening. Um, We didn't realize this until afterwards. We just couldn't understand why it wasn't working. Um, I think there may have even been like a change of staff in between. So 
they didn't recite it, but I'm really happy that they didn't because as it happened, the birth itself, um, obviously I didn't have this sort of epidural pain relief and I was able to be quite mobile uh, and feel it. And it wasn't the most easy uh, pushing stage either. So I think it was good that I was able to move around and really feel what was going on and maneuver to get the head out. He had the cord wrapped around his neck. So his head had become what's known as kaput, which is where it sort of swells into this sort of cone shape, which makes the head uh-huh. even more awkward to get out of the birth canal than it would otherwise be. So in the end, it was a good thing. It certainly didn't feel it at the time. I went back on the gas and my midwife um, said she would physically dilate me to 10 centimeters because I wasn't there yet. So. I don't, I don't remember exactly what she did, but I think we can imagine what she's doing to physically dilate me. And, and it must've worked. We started the pushing stage at around 10 o'clock. She said, um, with the effective pushing being about an hour later. So that must've been sort of that, you'll know a lot more than me, but that transitional phase and just kind of getting into the right sort of frame of mind to really start pushing it out. And when you first do it, I don't think you know immediately if you're doing it right or what to do. And she was saying, okay, no, you're not quite getting it. Um, you need to sort of, it's not about the, the breathing in and out. Um, it's more about like the pushing and the bearing down and um, almost like gritting your teeth instead of instead of the, the relaxing breaths that you're trying to do during labor. Yeah. Yeah. I should mention, I actually did try and practice my calm birth uh, breathing techniques during labor and I was most unsuccessful yeah. at doing them I'd love to try again but for whatever reason I was not able to nail this this breath to sort of put me in a deep stage of relaxation but anyway yeah back to the pushing um so I was sort of up and down and in all sorts of positions during this as they were trying to get this kaput head through uh in the end I think I ended up on my back for the actual um pushing stage And I just remembered why it's because I needed an episiotomy. So that uh, was obviously not something that I'd planned for either, but he had this swollen head and nobody wants an episiotomy, but on the day, it just doesn't matter. (laughs) All you want is to get the baby out, especially when you've been in labor all night and in various stages of pain and pressure and contractions. Honestly, the episiotomy was nothing um that I was scared of it being so not nothing really to worry about and he was born just before 12 so that was I guess I'd been in that hospital for six hours and it went by in such a blur the pushing stage my midwife said I was sort of effectively pushing for about an hour yeah and so when you had the episiotomy did you need like forceps or anything else to help him out or once you had the episiotomy he was okay yeah no that was okay um and sort of I just I guess I remember lying there and pushing and her saying okay we have a head (laughs) um you know what it sounds so easy when you say it okay cool we've got a head but at the time (laughs) definitely not like oh yeah here it is it's like oh my god are we get there and I remember both Blair and I talked about this neither of us have any idea how how long any of this is going to take and even through all the things that I'd read and sort of tried to prepare myself I didn't know how long this pushing stage was going to be and yeah I kind of 
I think I thought it was going to be a lot faster than it was. So when she said, all right, you're you're fully dilated, you're ready to push. In my head, I think I thought I'd have a baby five minutes later. But it really was two hours and an entire hour of really exhausting pushing to get the baby out. Yeah. Um, But we had the head and then the rest of the slimy little body flopped out. (laughs) They something that I'd looked into during my pregnancy, which I'm not sure if you talk about um, regularly. I'm sure some of your uh, mummies you've interviewed have done it, but I was looking into both uh, the cord banking and the delayed cord clamping options. Essentially, you can't really do delayed cord clamping if you're also doing cord blood banking because both of them need the same blood. And this is something I'd really, really toyed with. And it was a product that we'd been offered. I'd been offered during my pregnancy. So I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, are there benefits? Should we do it? And after much sort of umming and ahhing and decision making, I decided not to do cord blood banking, but instead just to have the uninterrupted um, delayed cord clamping. But yeah. almost as soon as the baby was put on me, he was his cord was cut and he was taken away because he wasn't hmm. uh, responsive and breathing and doing what he should have been, which is a pretty scary thing to happen when you've finally just given birth to have your baby taken off. Yeah. And I don't think at this point I even knew if he was a boy or a girl. All I knew was that he wasn't on me. And the mid, there was a few two midwives in the room and my midwife called for help, which standard practice, I think, is just that everybody who's with an ear, earshot comes in so there was yeah exaggeration between sort of 12 and 15 people sort of rushed towards the room and there's a lot of people surrounding him over on the um sort of recess area and they were looking after him but I was just lying there in shock and shaking just pretty uncontrollably and so upset and we didn't know what was going on and all the nurses and doctors their job is to look after the baby it's not actually to explain to you what's wrong with the baby or what's going on and that's quite a scary a scary thing too but I remember I think Blair said to one of the midwives either our midwife or the hospital midwife who was helping he said you know what's going on why is no one telling us anything and she said look at the doctor's they don't seem panicked, so everything must be fine. Um, and that was a nice thing to hear, but um, I really just couldn't wait to get him back, which we did um, a little bit later. I think I actually delivered the placenta fairly quickly and possibly even while he was over on the recess area. So uh, okay. yeah. I delivered the placenta and I think I must have been given him. You know, you're so delirious at this point. And so tired. Hmm. I remember I was actually falling asleep. Um, so you're so happy to have your baby, but I was falling asleep. And I was, I remember actually worrying, um, I hope they're not trusting me with this baby because I'm going to fall asleep. I'm not going to do a very good job of him. <laughs> but there's enough people in and out of the room that, that the baby is safe. And I, of course, had to be stitched up, uh, the episiotomy stitches. So my midwife did that. Um, and I was just sort of in this really sort of like hallucinogenic, uh, state of oh my god that's that's over we've done that and now we have yeah. this little boy and we named him pretty much straight away it was a name that we'd had for a, a long time um so yeah we named him teddy and sort of just lay there for a few hours looking at this little guy who of course we end up now staring at for the rest of his life 
Yeah, amazing. And did you try to latch him on or anything during those first couple of hours or what was that like? Yes, I think that they did try and latch him on immediately and he didn't and he didn't sort of immediately take to it. I don't think I properly um had him latched on until we were at birth care, which was a few hours later. Um yeah. Again, my mind is a little bit of a blur from that afternoon. It's just such a crazy time. Um we it, the crazy thing actually is that they let you leave the hospital and you just sort of take this baby and put him in a car seat and you know you can you could just go home we of course chose to go to birth care um which was nice it was like yeah. quite surreal arriving back at birth care having been there the day before um and then honestly i feel like those three days were almost like a honeymoon you know we were just in this incredible bubble of love and it was really nice to be away from everything at home um all distractions we didn't really use our phones we certainly didn't tell many people that we'd had him we just sort of enjoyed him and enjoyed having the birth care midwives helping us out and they did help yeah. me a lot with breastfeeding when I was there so even though I don't think he latched on immediately at the, at the hospital we um, were able to I was able to breastfeed him that night um, with colostrum. And I'd also been expressing colostrum for about three weeks before he was born. So we were able to give him yeah. some of that as well, um, which was good because he's always been a hungry little baby. And uh, <laughs> it's quite a nice feeling, if you possibly can, to express colostrum before so that even if your milk doesn't come in straight away, you feel like you've got something to give them. Yeah, yeah. And did you learn how to antenatally express colostrum through your midwife or how did you um, yeah. come across that? I know lots of people don't hear about it. No, and I wish that everybody would. And I, I've said that to my mother. I've said, why can't we tell everybody that they should do this? Um, but she did raise a good point, which is that you don't want to give expectant mummies something else to worry about if they can't. So if they try to yeah. antenatally express and they're unable to, you wouldn't want people feeling like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to breastfeed because that yeah. be the case. Yeah. Um, not everyone who can breastfeed is able to antenatally express, but it's certainly worth doing. I had a freezer full of it. In the end, I actually gave a lot of it away, which is a strange concept. But when I was at birth care, I was producing a lot of it and I, I, I was able to just keep it coming. So I gave, you know, 10 or 20 syringes of it um, to the birth care team so that they could give it to other people. Oh, awesome. Yeah, which was really good. Yeah. And I continued expressing um, straight away, which was something that my midwife suggested to do. So I put um, like a letdown pump on one boob while I pumped, while I, while I fed on the other every time I fed. Yeah. So I always had sort of milk in the fridge or the freezer. And that was excellent to have for the last few months. And there have been days where he seems hungrier and I've been able to top him up with that. And more recently, I've also been able to give that milk to other people through my midwife. If she has a mummy who, whose milk doesn't come in immediately, she can message me and I can give her um, some of my expressed milk from the freezer if the mum is happy to have that. Yeah. Also, I love hearing those um, stories of people being able to donate their milk because I think it's yeah an awesome concept and really important if we can do. So that's awesome to hear that you're doing it too. No, it really is. And um, I'd like to do more. I've I've sort of just sort of slowed down on expressing in the last couple of weeks now that um, I'm not feeding him so much through the night and I used to pump, yeah. you know, all the, every time I would feed, I would pump on the other side. But I actually think that was 
almost more exhausting than just feeding him. So I've really yeah. cut down on the expressing, yeah. but I did it for five months plus the antenatal colostrum expressing and worth its weight in gold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, awesome. And how were you feeling once you sort of left birth care and came home and you've got this newborn baby and you're a new mum? What was that experience like? The emotional roller coaster is insane. Um, just that I think it's the hormones coming like dropping out and being replaced with new ones and possibly just the realization of that oh my goodness I actually do now have this baby and um, I'm arrived yeah. and I don't have any family up here uh, oh my goodness I'm gonna have to look after this baby so I was feeling pretty overwhelmed uh, definitely those I think it's the four, fourth or fifth day um, I was just crying but not really out of sadness I was sort of just overwhelmed and incredibly happy but so scared yeah. of scared of hurting him or anything happening to him and I couldn't cope with just how sort of happy I was um and how much I loved him it was a really sort of unfamiliar world that we were in yeah um but I was feeling good I we'd we'd been out and about immediately when we were at birth care we went sort of for a walk in the domain and we went out for coffee the next day to the market and then out for brunch the following day which looking back now seems completely mad I don't know I, but you don't know what to do you've never had a baby before you don't know that you yeah, of course. just rest up and do nothing um and then so the first week was really lovely and we just kind of got on with life but I sort of took a look at my stitches and they definitely didn't look how I expected them to look so I mentioned this to my midwife she was like look they're not supposed to be beautiful they'll be fine they're healing and a few days later, she came back for another check and I said, please come upstairs right now and I'm going to show you my stitches. And this was day 10. And she had a look and said, oh my goodness. Oh no, we're going to have to go back to birth care. You're going to need to be restitched. Oh no. Which is not a very pleasant thing to be told. Um, I'd, admittedly, I'd I'd sort of been pretty mobile and so we we both sort of assumed that the reason that the stitches had failed is because I was um you know being too active and I was getting in and out of the car to sit in the back with the baby um and I was going for little walks and as I said I live in a three-story house which I'm currently baby proofing which is worlds of fun hmm. um but you know I've been up and down the stairs so that day she restitched me and put me on bed rest where I basically stayed for the next seven to 10 days, hardly moving, hardly going, you know, between the bed and the bathroom, only to have a look yeah. again and find that the same thing was happening. So oh, for, no. for whatever reason, they just was sort of dissolving and not just not taking. My body was um, sort of rejecting them, I think. Um, so that was that was quite tough in those first couple of weeks because you've got so much else going on and trying to breastfeed and you've got such sore nipples and you're so tired because you're just feeding all day, all night. And feeds were taking, you know, up to an hour in the middle of the night. So to have my stitches fail twice in the first two weeks was uh, just not what you need. And that was probably another reason for not talking about it immediately is that I was not wanting to share that and not wanting to say, all of this has gone wrong until I at least had a solution. And in the end, um, yeah. it just came out and it healed naturally on its own. So I'm, I'm happy to confirm I'm perfectly healed and everything works. <laughs> good. Um, so 
obviously stitches are a good thing to have, but if yours happen to fall out, then you will heal naturally anyway. Yeah. And did you end up seeing sort of any other professionals to check your stitches or your recovery over like a woman's health physio or anything like that? So I saw a woman's health physio at birth care, which is quite a great service that they offer. Oh, cool. Yeah. On like the third day of, um, of our stay there, they had someone come in, which was great because I wanted to, uh, to ask when I could exercise again. Um, yeah. I'm I'm such an active person. I don't like driving. I walk everywhere. I have the two dogs. I'm always out and about. So it was definitely like on my mind that I wanted to be able to do that. And so I was checked immediately. And she said that I'd had a tiny little bit of um, ab separation, but that otherwise, if I gave it a few weeks, I'd be light as rain to get started. And so I did. Yeah. Um, but that was the only sort of uh, postnatal check that I had from anyone other than my midwife. And of course, if you use midwifery care in New Zealand, your midwife comes to visit you, you know, so many times um, in those first few weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's such a, it's so lovely to have her checking in. And Blair and I don't have family um, and we we don't really, we don't have, have much family anyway, but we certainly don't have family in Auckland. So it was sort of just us and our midwife popping in, which was really great. And I love that um, yeah. continuity of midwifery care that we have in New Zealand. We are so lucky compared to other countries. It's actually incredible. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I definitely um, agree with you on that one. <laughs> and how were you feeling sort of emotionally um, through the next few months and adjusting to life? And obviously things have changed so much for you yeah. now as they were beforehand. So how have you transitioned through that period? You know, one of the hardest things over the last few months has actually been the outbreak of measles because I obviously have a baby who's who's less than six months, so he couldn't be vaccinated. Um, so having been out and about with him in the first couple of days and then certainly in the first few weeks of his life, you know, we went out for brunch as soon as we got home and things like that. I then basically went into complete isolation mode to protect him from yeah. um, the spread of the measles infection in, in Auckland. So I would say it's been a quite a lonely sort of a time. And that's not because I yeah. don't have friends. I do, but I would really only want to meet them at home. I wouldn't go to a cafe. I wouldn't even sit inside a cafe. I wouldn't go to the mall. And all of this sounds yeah. incredibly anal, but when you've got this tiny little baby, you want to do absolutely everything you can. Oh, I can understand. Yeah. yeah and that, that's really, it has actually been quite hard. And I have friends who have babies who are less than six months, but unless I knew that they were basically doing the same as as I was and completely isolating their babies I didn't even feel comfortable catching up with my friends who had unvaccinated yeah. babies which um obviously that would exclude the antenatal uh sort of friends that you have um and a lot of people so you know it, it was yeah. quite a hard sort of emotional time um due to that and Blair went back to work and he he's um internationally like he works internationally so he's away a lot um so there have been times that I felt a little bit lonely and a bit overwhelmed by it but I really love it I I really love looking after him and he makes me so happy um that any sort of negativity around um I guess being isolated from measles and being by yourself a lot of the time is definitely outweighed by you know how much joy he brings you um but it's a complete transition my world is turned upside down um, I am so used to working all the time and I found it really difficult to step away from that um, because you just don't have yeah. time. You, you, you're constantly, um, your world revolves around somebody else and they need you. 
Um, and that's obviously more important than getting things like marketing done um, for your business. <laughs> so it's been a sort of a mental transition that way as well, just to realize that the only thing that I need to do each day is look after him. And if I have time to do anything else, then that's a bonus. Yeah, no, I think that's um, definitely will resonate with a lot of women out there. So definitely agree with you on that one. And particularly the work sort of thing, I already feel like that and I haven't even had my baby yet. So yeah, yeah I think definitely resonates. It's a really, it's a really tricky one. Um, and there is a part of me that feels like I'm going to lose my business if I don't keep it up. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. obviously spent so many years building it and I'm really proud of it and where it's come. But, and, I, and I'd, I'd like, you know, when my babies no longer need me 24 seven, I'd like to be able to have it and to sort of pick it, pick it back up again and, and give it a boost. So I am sort of scared that it will disappear, but then yeah. looking after him and hopefully more babies in the future is just more important. And you're never going to get this yeah. again. You can always start another business. Um, if your product or if your service or offering is good enough, there'll always be room for you in the business world, but I'm never going to have my newborn baby Teddy again, just like this. And when I have another baby, it's definitely not going to be the same as it is now. So I've just had to really just surrender to whatever life is going to look like with him. And I use that word often, actually. I, I do feel like I've just surrendered to being his mom and um, enjoying that for now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And how is Teddy going now? I think did you say he's five months? Yeah, he is. He's great. Oh, he's he's really good. Yeah. I just beam whenever I think of him and talk to him. He's upstairs <laughs> now. He's having a huge long nap with uh, Blair during the day. One of us generally has to sort of stay next to him and put a hand on him so that he keeps napping. Yeah. But that's actually quite a nice excuse just to lie in bed in the dark and do nothing. Yeah. And yeah. Usually either Blair or I fall asleep at the time. Um, that's why at the same time. Uh, so, no, he's really good. I just, he's, it's, I thought I was going to miss that newborn stage because they're so delicious and, and squidgy and just, you just cuddle them all the time. But I don't miss that because, every week he changes again and has something yeah. new to offer like the giggles which obviously you don't have in the beginning and like the beginnings of communication with him are so amazing of course I'm like when are you gonna say mama and when are we gonna um, <laughs> go for a walk together and all sorts of things like that I think I'm probably rushing his development um because I want to have <laughs> him sort of uh, be more like a friend but um no it's amazing it's thank you for asking it's really lovely yeah, no, awesome. Cool. And is there anything else that you'd like to share in regards to your story or your birth journey or just being pregnant? Any sort of advice that you'd like to offer to other mums out there? Yeah, one thing I just thought of, literally just this second, I, I remembered uh, a question that a girlfriend asked was, so how how is it with the dogs? And I would say to anyone who's pregnant to prepare yourself that the love that you have for your dogs is not going to go away, but your time with them is <laughs> going to change. And one thing I, yeah. I almost wish that I'd sort of made it more of a transition for my dogs because they were so used to being my babies and being with me all day, every day. And then one day that just stopped. And I'm now with this baby all day, every day. And of course I still try yeah. to give my dogs as much attention as I can, but I wonder if it would have been easier for the dogs if I'd done that a little bit more transitionally if that's even possible to start sort of giving your dog slightly less attention every day until they <laughs> suddenly realize they're no longer top dog as it is. Um, so that's a tiny little thing, but 
I'm looking forward to the dogs getting more used to the baby and they will start interacting a bit more too. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that's um, interesting because we don't often talk about that on this podcast, but I've got a dog as well and so does my yeah. partner's family. So I think we'll we'll experience a similar thing. It's really hard. I would say that and this, this probably sounds like I'm overstating it, but it's one of the hardest things about having a new baby is that I do not have an, as much time and love to give my dogs who are amazing. I love my dogs, but you feel like you're being such a bad mum every time you, yeah. you know, put the dogs outside because they're barking and they're waking up the baby and they're driving you nuts. And it's a lot harder to leave the house with a baby and two dogs than it is just to yeah. the dogs outside. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll get there. They're lying below my yeah. feet now. So I think they've forgiven me <laughs> for, um, yeah, I'm sure. Annoying them a little bit. And it, I've definitely made sure that Blair gives them a lot of attention as well. And they get walks all the time as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey with us. I really appreciate it. And I, I get so many requests for your birth stories. Oh, so so nice. I know there'll be a lot of people out there really loving to hear it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And it is a really nice feeling to finally share it. And I, think that Kiwi Birth Tales is the perfect place to do that because if people want to hear about my birth story they can but I'm not just sort of telling all of my followers um just because yeah. you know a handful of them every now and then are asking me so I, I'm really grateful to have this platform to share it with them and I hope that I've delivered it in a way that doesn't scare anyone and I hope that even if things don't go according to plan everyone still has a really happy birth which is absolutely how I would describe mine didn't go according to plan life never does but I was so happy at the end of the day thanks for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales I'd like to say another huge thank you to Yeti Bath and Body for sponsoring this episode being a parent it's a hard time to find time for self-care but with Yeti's products it's easy to incorporate a little self-care time into your day check out their website www.yetibathandbody.co.nz and use the code KiwiBirthTales for free shipping. Thanks again, Yeti Bath & Body. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at KiwiBirthTales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.